coast and floorboards to shingles. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Pick up the phone, give us a call because your home improvement projects just got easier because we're here to help. The number is 1-888-MONEYPIT, 888-666-3974. Take a look around your house. It is officially the fall fix-up season, so it's time to get some projects done. And the fall is great because it's not too hot, it's not too cold. It is the perfect time to do projects inside your house, outside your house, soup to nuts, floorboards to shingles. Let's get it done. 888-666-3974. Coming up this hour, downsizing might not be such a great word around the workplace, but when it comes to your home and your lifestyle, downsizing is a good thing. We're going to talk to the downsizing expert, Sarah Susanka, author of the Not So Big Remodeling book about why living large is out, living small is in, and how you can accomplish that with comfort and efficiency. Well, I always knew with my little house I was ahead of the trend. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Plus, folks, are your ducks a dusty, dirty mess? Well, how can you really tell when you can't see inside of them? Would a good duct cleaning do you some good? Not necessarily. I know you keep hearing about, hey, get it done. It's good for you. We're going to tell you why it might not be such a great thing a little later. And if you pick up the phone right now and call us at one eight 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 Money Pit, we'll give you the answer to your home improvement question and a chance at winning a great prize. Because this hour we're giving away an autographed copy of our book, My Home, My Money Pit: Your Guide to Every Home Improvement Adventure. Going to go to one caller who reaches us this hour at one eight 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 Money Pit. So let's get right to those phones. Leslie, who's first? Now we're going to talk to Chuck in Indiana about a basement problem. What's going on? Uh, yes. Um... I have a, our home is fairly new. It's only about seven years old, but uh, in the back, what we call the back room, the storage room area, um, it's just concrete wall and concrete floor, but uh, we have furniture back there, and it seems to have, I guess it's mold, what I call, that forms at the bottom of the furniture legs, and we have central air. We have a dehumidifier back there. And the basement is actually dry all through. And I don't understand why I still get this mold that seems to be on the legs. Because I have the furniture sitting on pieces of carpet also. (laughs) Well, see, now therein lies your problem. You don't oh, that's want to put, the problem? Yeah, you don't want to put the furniture on top of the carpet because the carpet is mold food. You're probably encouraging the mold by doing just that. See, what happens with the carpet is, first of all, generally it has a, a, an organic back, like a jute back. Secondly, uh-huh. it, it traps a lot of dirt and dust and skin cells mm-hmm. and other things that mold can feed on. it sucks up the moisture. And it sucks up the moisture. So with all that going against you, you're probably feeding the mold problem. So I would get rid of that carpet. Now, Chuck, is it just carpet pieces, or do you have the whole floor carpeted? No, it's just pieces of carpet because it's a concrete floor, and I thought probably the moisture from the concrete floor would be causing that on the furniture. Well, the moisture from the concrete floor is getting sucked into the carpet, and And that's giving you a a nice moisture source from which the mold to grow. So I would get rid of the carpet. You know, if you want to put some... uh, Wood blocks or concrete blocks or something that have, make sure you have a little air on the furniture. Get furniture blocks that, you know, even like those glide and slide pieces. Get those little furniture bottoms. Some of them are rubber. Some of them are plastic. This way you get something that matches the leg of the piece of furniture that you have, and it's inorganic, so you're not going to transfer the moisture and then cause mold to grow. Now, is the furniture wood or what is uh, it? Yeah. 
Okay, so you're going to want to treat that mold that's on it right now. And uh, to do that, you could simply uh, mix up a bleach and water solution of about one part bleach and about four parts water. Spray it on there, let it sit just for a little while, and then wipe it clean so you get rid of anything that's growing on there right now. All right, thank you very much. You're welcome, Chuck. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Marie in California needs some help cleaning. What's going on? I have a couple of questions, not major home improvement projects, but... I have uh, in my hallway and, and master bathroom, we have traver- travertine. Yes. Say natural stone, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. Yep. And a couple of questions. I'm starting to get little pits in it. You know, we're like little nicks. And I'm wondering what's causing that and how can we repair that? I know we can mm-hmm. go back to the, to the installer, but is there anything I can do? Well, travertine, the, probably the reason you're seeing all these little nicks and dings and things happen to it is that over time it does need to be resealed. And if it's not resealed, it's sort of whatever sealant's been on there from the beginning is wearing away. And now you're sort of leaving everything that's vulnerable in the flooring itself, you know, open to damage if you drop something or if you wear high heels. You know, it's just natural wear and tear because natural stone, even though it's very strong, when that sealant is gone, it really does have a hard time, you know, standing up to it. There's a great website called Stone Care International, and their website is stonecare.com, and there's a whole section on that site for travertine, specifically for flooring, and there's a product that they have called Bathroom Stone Floor Kit, and it's got a spray and seal, it's got a disinfectant, it's got a cleanser, so it comes with everything that you need to clean, maintain, and then seal that floor. Okay, great. Yeah, it's only been a year, so it's not a long time. It's yeah, but you got to stay on top of it, and if you don't, it, it definitely can pit mm-hmm. and uh, and be, be something that, you know, it's a natural surface, so it really does need some maintenance. And even with granite countertops, which we have in our kitchen, every year we have to reseal it. And if I mm-hmm. skip a year just because I think, oh, I did it already, sure enough, I drop a pot or pan on it or something happens, and I get a little ding right in a, you know, one of those places where the granite was sort of shallow and they filled it with epoxy to sort of make everything even, you really got to stay on top of natural stone. Okay, great. And the other thing is uh, tile. Do you recommend, you know, just for regular ceramic tile, what kind of cleaner do you recommend? Well, with ceramic tile, uh, usually the issue is the grout. And what we like to suggest is something called a grout stripper. It's basically a heavy-duty cleaner. It usually comes in a concentrate available at hardware stores and home centers. Typically, you have to mix it about one part uh, grout stripper to about seven parts water. Then you scrub it with a stiff brush. You let it sit for up to about 45 minutes, keeping it wet. And then the trick of the trade on really getting it super clean, Marie, is to try not to wipe it off. If you have a wet-dry vacuum, you can actually suck off the dirty water, and that avoids it from going back into the grout lines. And then once you have it really, really clean then you and dry, then you want to apply a grout sealer to keep it that way. Okay. Okay, well, great. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Marie. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. You are tuned to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. Now you can call in your home repair, your home improvement question, your fall fix-up question, 24 hours a day, seven days a week at 1-888-MONEY-PIT. 888-666-3974. Up next, do your ducks really need a good cleaning? Well, the answer is probably not. We're going to explain why after this. On the Money Pit Radio Show. This portion of the Money Pit is brought to you by Bear Premium Plus Ultra Interior Paint and Primer in One with Advanced Nano Guard technology. Designed to not only help you save time, but also preserve your home's interior finish. 
For more information, visit Bear.com. That's B-E-H-R.com. Bear products are available exclusively at the Home Depot. Making good homes better. Welcome back to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. And the number here at Team Money Pit is 1-888-MONEY-PIT. Give us a call with your home repair or your home improvement question, whatever it is you are working on. We can help you get that job done. And if you get on the air with us this hour, you could win a copy of our book, My Home, My Money Pit, Your Guide to Every Home Improvement Adventure. Now, it's full of the same kind of informative advice and the tips and the tricks that you learn here every week on the show but you get to keep it with you and then refer to it regularly. And you know what? It's a very entertaining read, if I don't say so myself. So give us a call for your chance to win at 1-888-MONEYPIT. 888-666-3974. And in our book, as well as on our website, you're going to find some money and time and energy-saving tips like this one, which comes from page 101. A question we get a lot is about heating and cooling ducts and whether or not you you should clean them And the truth is, probably not. They do get a lot of dirt. They do get a lot of debris in them from time to time. But when you put them through rigorous cleanings, it tends to loosen all that stuff up. And guess what? It stays inside the ducts and blows around even worse. So it can actually make your house dirtier sometimes when you clean the ducts. Best way to keep your ducts clean is to make sure that you have a good quality filtration system in place. Now, the fiberglass filters that come on most heating and cooling systems when they're first installed really don't do a very good job. You really need an electronic air cleaner or at least at least a high-efficiency media filter to really keep those the air inside those ducts as clean as you possibly can get it. There's lots of good uh, electronic air cleaners out there. Train makes one. April Air makes one. Worth putting the money into that, and you don't spend it then on the duct cleaning. And that's really going to keep those ducts clean. And you're going to see a big difference in the side of the house, especially if you're susceptible to allergies mm-hmm. from dust and that sort of thing. It's so much more comfortable. Plus, you'll have to clean the house a lot less. Who doesn't <laughs> love that? Which is the good reason. <laughs> 888-666-3974. Call us right now with your home improvement question. Leslie, who's next? Morton, New Jersey needs some help with a flooring situation. What's going on? Uh, yeah, I'm standing an old uh, oak floor, and I've collected all the sawdust, and I want to mix it with something uh, to fill the cracks. Uh, mm-hmm. What do you recommend mixing it with? Hmm. Well, why do you want to put the, the same sawdust back in there? You might be better off with a good quality crack filler because if you mix it with... You know, often uh, times I, when I was doing woodworking projects, I would mix the glue, mix a little bit of uh, yellow glue in with sawdust and put it in there. But that's not going to stain the same as the rest of the floor. Yeah, it doesn't. And, it's also really hard to work with glue. Right, tried exactly. That. Exactly. I would use a regular wood filler with that. I wouldn't necessarily put the wood sawdust back in there. I mean, if you use a, a good, like a Minwax wood filler or something of that nature, or Elmer's has a really good one that dries very quickly, you can press some sawdust into the top of that and affect the color, but at least it will it'll be easy to sand, and it will stain properly and finish properly. Okay, thanks, Tom. Thanks a lot. All right, Mort, good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Sometimes you're better off not, you know, creating your own well, product where one exists that does a fine job. And the only thing I've ever heard of mixing the sawdust with is like a white glue or a wood glue. Yeah. Which is then also going to take the stain in an odd way. Your I've best bet is just small a stainable putty. Yeah, little cracks and railings and things like that, but not for a floor. That's probably not the best use of that technique. Now we're going to talk to Liz in Colorado that's dealing with a venting issue. Tell us about the problem. We have um, a microwave with one of those uh, charcoal vents. 
Mm-hmm, built right yes. into it. Uh-huh. Yeah, and <clears throat> what we'd like to do is get an exterior exhaust. Okay, that's a much better option. Yes. Uh, the problem is it's it sits about 30 inches above the microwave, which I understand is that's the right level. Uh, so we're probably going to need a, a different kind of microwave or just a, a main exhaust. But from that level, that 30 inches, uh, you still have about four feet up, and then we would have to make a six-foot bend to get to the outside because it's Okay, a- so this is on an interior wall, essentially, and you need to figure out how to duct it through the structure to the outside, correct? Exactly. Okay, not a problem. You can do this, but you have to do it with metal ducts. Metal you ducts. can't do it. You can't do it with plastic ducts. It's it's uh, very very dangerous. You have to have these ducts made. Probably the best person to do that would be a heating contractor because they make duct work up all the time. They can make it in various sizes, and you want it to basically you know go right from the exhaust port of the microwave. Uh, up through the house and out. You want to curve it so it's not right angles. It'll be nice and smooth. And then you terminate on the outside wall. So it's definitely doable, but I would do it with solid metal ducting. Dominic in New York has an issue with the fireplace and chimney. What's going on? Up on the roof where the chimney is, there's like a, I think they call it a whirly bird, or it's like a fan that turns when the wind blows. That's not for your fireplace. That's your roof vent. Roof vent? Yeah. What, I was wondering what the purpose of that was because it's kind of making a noise. Uh, there's no purpose for it. <laughs> it's it's a type of vent, and people put them on many years ago because they were impressed that they did spin and thought they were doing something. But effectiveness-wise, they're really lousy roof vents. And what happens is the bearings wear out, and they get real noisy and, and screechy. And I would suggest that you remove that vent and roof over it so that you no longer have the hole in your roof. And to replace it, the best kind of ventilation would be a ridge vent that goes down the peak of the roof, coupled with some soffit vents at the overhang. I think it's hooked up on top of the chimney, though. I think it's on where the where the you know the smokestack where it comes out for the fireplace. It's mm-hmm. on top of that. You might be seeing on top of the chimney those sort of chimney cage covers to prevent any animals climbing down into it, and they could look kind of similar. You telling me you've got one of those vents that spins on top of your chimney? I believe so. Yes. I mean, I can't see it. I live in a it's in a condo complex, and what happened was a roofer went up and. He was up there working, and he tied it down. Presently, it's like tied down so it doesn't turn to make the noise. And um, that's what I've I'm never at. seen a, a, that type of event on top of an active chimney. That sounds very strange to me, and I'd want some more information on that. What you might want to do is have a certified chimney sweep look at that just to make sure it's safe. That okay. sounds very unusual. Mm-hmm. Okay. You typically don't have any type of a termination like that on a vent pipe for a chimney or a fireplace. Heading over to Texas to chat with Levi about a deck project. What's going on? Yeah, hi. Thanks for taking my call. I was uh, calling because uh, I have a I have a, a wooden deck, of course, and a wooden fence, and and it was never sealed or uh, stained or anything like that. And so now what I have is a couple years uh, weathered old gray wood look, and I'm wondering how do I how do I uh, bring that back, re- refinish it to? How old is this that we're talking about? How many years has it been sitting there? I really couldn't say. I bought the house, and, and none of it was uh, sealed or stained when I bought the house. And I, I, I've lived here for two years. So you like the, sort of the uh, fresh, pressure-treated green look? Is that what you're looking to get back, Levi? Yeah, I'm, I'm just looking to, uh, uh, you know, uh, 
I know, I know I can uh, sand it down and, you know, get back down to the, the yeah, fresh wood. Yeah, but you know what? And... Listen, if you do that, it's, it's not going to last for long. You're, you're talking about oxidation on the surface of the wood. And what we would recommend um, is that you apply a stain to that wood. You can either go with a semi-transparent, which will show more grain, or a solid color. And then choose the, choose the color of stain that you really like. I mean, if you want a green color, fine. If you want it to be gray or brown or... Or uh, you know, deep red mahogany. You can choose that color, and that's going to protect it, and the color will stay that way for quite a few years. Mm -hmm. If you want to give it a shot before you go ahead and apply, you know, a solid stain or a semi-transparent. If you want to see if you can sort of get the gray out of the weathered wood. I mean, I don't know if this will work on something that's been weathered five years or more, Flood makes a product called the Wood Cleaner Premium Wood Cleaner and Brightener. And I believe you roll it on and you let it sit on there and then you rinse it off. But it does a great job of sort of getting that gray out. And I know it works fantastic on wood that's aged a year or two years. So it's worth it to give it a shot. You know, it's one product that you invest in, give it a whirl and see. And if it works, then you want to go ahead and put, you know, some sort of sealant on there, a natural looking stain, something just to protect it from UV, mold, moisture, everything. If it does not work for you, go for the semi-transparent or the solid, depending on how you want it to look. I mean, you can pick a color that's, you know, as natural as you like, and that'll be the best way to make it look as good as it can be. Okay, thanks a lot. I'll, uh, I'll give it a shot. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for calling us at 888-MONEY-PIT. Well, saying she was ahead of her time is an understatement. Up next, we are going to talk to a great guest. We have Sarah Susanka, and she is the author of The Not-So-Big House, Stopping by the Money Pit. And she's going to share some tips with us about taking remodeling on in a responsible way. So stick around. 888-MONEY-PIT. Making good homes better. Welcome back to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. And you should pick up the phone and give us a call. Let us know what you are working on at your Money Pit. Maybe you're thinking about remodeling. And if you are, have we got a great guest for you. Our next guest was way ahead of her time. You know, when others were building McMansions, she was busy promoting a not-so-big lifestyle. And now the rest of the country has caught up with her way of thinking, living simply and responsibly instead of living large. And we're proud to Welcome Sarah Suzanka to the program, author and architect of the Not So Big series. Hi, Sarah. Hi, great to be here. So for those that don't know you, talk about the, uh, the very first book, The Not So Big House. Well, in 1998, I published a book uh, called The Not So Big House, A Blueprint for the Way We Really Live. And the basis of that book was really uh, seeing that so many people were building a lot of square footage that they didn't really use mm -hmm. and didn't have enough money left over to make the space they live in every day really wonderful. And so I was suggesting let's forget about those rooms that we rarely use, like the formal living room, if in many households, the formal dining room, the mm -hmm. three-story front entry. <laughs> and instead, let's make, let's put that uh, money that we would have spent on those rooms into the places we live every day. And so, that makes so much sense because those are the those are the rooms my parents never let me go into. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And and when we do spend money on the spaces that we use every day, we can make it really beautiful and really a joy to live in. And that's what I was noticing. People didn't really have the opportunity to do because they were spending the money in the wrong places. And now we're not building houses so much anymore, but we are remodeling a lot of them. And you've got a new book out called The Not-So-Big Remodeling. So uh, what got you started on this book? 
Well, quite honestly, this is a book that people have been asking me to read, to uh, write for the last 10 years. And it's a big challenge because remodeling, as most people realize, has a lot of details, picky details to, to uh, uh, really focus on. And I wanted a book that was really comprehensive and that would allow a homeowner to recognize the places that are a challenge in their own homes and find not just the solutions, but the way to think creatively about the whole house so that you don't spend a lot of money on extra space that you don't really need, but you fix the problems that are in the existing structure. Is that, you think, the most common mistake, people really sort of overindulging in what's not necessary? Absolutely. Well, they, they end up trying to solve the problem by adding more square footage. Adding more square footage should be the last thing you contemplate, not the first. We're talking to Sarah Susanka. She's an architect and author of the Not So Big series. Her latest book is called The Not So Big Remodeling. So, Sarah, you say that the first thing you really need to do to get a hold of this is set priorities. Where do we begin with that? Well, what I like to do is ask people, first of all, to take a look at their existing um, house plan and to notice where there are rooms that rarely get used, and then what are the things that you would really like to have room for that you don't currently. And mm-hmm. a lot of people have you know, their dreams, and they just assume they're going to have to move before they can realize those dreams. Oftentimes, those things are absolutely possible to, to bring into being in your own home, but they they require that you look more creatively at the existing footprint. Do you think you need to sort of look at how you use the space or what type of activities yourself and your family might be doing within this new space or look at how you're not getting the proper usage of what you've already got? It's actually both. Um, One of the exercises that I actually described in my first book, In the Not-So-Big House, was to have people do an inventory of the spaces they have in their house now write down the square footage of each room and how frequently each one gets used. And oftentimes people discover that they have the the spatial resources right there that they don't even recognize because it's got, you know, living room furniture in it that nobody actually sits in. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there's there's space for the in-home office, um, uh, maybe a place for uh, kids to play computer games, or, you know, whatever it is that they that you need a, a spot for, that you don't have the uh, location. What about storage? It always seems that we don't have enough room uh, in our homes for storage. Are there ways to find more space for storage in your existing home? There absolutely are. One of the things that uh, we don't realize is. Let me give you paint a, a visual picture for a second. Let's say you don't have enough closet in your master bedroom, but you've got a fairly good-sized room. One simple way to get more closet is actually to build the closet into the room. Mm-hmm. So you can add along one wall a full two feet wide uh, slice of space that becomes all new closet space. It's easy to do, but because we don't, automatically think of making a room a little bit smaller mm-hmm. so that we can get that storage. We just It just never happens. Lots of great ideas here. Sarah Suzanka is the author of the book. It's called The Not-So-Big Remodeling. In bookstores nationwide, for more information, you can go to her website at notsobighouse.com. Sarah, great tips. Thanks so much for stopping by the Money Pit. Thank you. Well, speaking of small spaces, you know, making your bathroom work better is a great way to maximize an already small space. But if you're worried about attaching shelving or baseboard to a tile wall surface, stay tuned because we've got a tip on how to do that without any drilling. So stick around. 
where home solutions live. Welcome back to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Give us a call right now at 1-888-MONEY-PIT. We're here to help you with your home improvement question. And one caller who comes on the air with us this hour is going to win a copy of our book, My Home, My Money Pit, Your Guide to Every Home Improvement Adventure. 888-666-3974. That's right. Pick up the phone and give us a call. Let us know what you are working on. Now, if you happen to be working on a bathroom, have we got a tip for you? Because when you're working in a bathroom, you have to worry about tile surfaces. And when you're in a bathroom, they're pretty much everywhere. Now, especially you need to be concerned if you have to attach anything to your tile wall surfaces. So a listener sent in a great liquid nail story that can actually help you with just that. It comes from Joseph Sisek. And Joseph says, recently I renovated my bathroom. I installed tile on the walls and wanted to attach hot water baseboard. Instead of drilling through the tile using screws to mount the baseboard, I used liquid nails on the back of the baseboard units and it worked beautifully. It totally adhered and it didn't ruin the tiles. Thank you, liquid nails. And that's a great tip from Joe. Liquid nails is the recognized leader in construction adhesive. We use it around here for just about everything. And for sharing a story, Joe wins a tool bag filled with samples of liquid nails for just about any project around the house. There are so many types, each for a specific purpose. If you've got a liquid nail success story, please send it to us at mystory@moneypit.com. If we use yours on the air, we will send you that package as well. 888-666-3974. Call us right now with your home improvement question. Taking a call from South Carolina where Janice has a question about plumbing. Janice, how can we help? Hi. Um, we're expanding our house, and it seems like all the contractors that are coming in, um, adding on to the, the new bathroom and an area like a wet bar, they want to put in this plastic tubing um, with these rings around it and um, instead of using copper. And I'm, I'm wondering, I, and I've looked at a lot of different houses, and even the new builders are starting to put this, it's like a, a plastic tube. Is yeah, it called, called PEX? It, it's called PEX. It okay. Stand, yeah, it's PEX, which is short for cross-link polyethylene. And it's a very, very good piping system that's really making the rounds now throughout new construction and remodeling. It's, it's easy much, to join together. Yeah. It's flexible. It installs far easier. If you ever need to make a repair in an awkward space, it sort of helps to do that without having a lot of renovation involved. Yeah, it's good stuff. Okay, and the rings that, uh, you know, hold it on to where the pipe is connected to, I mean, those will last for... Yeah, you know, there were some problems with different types of plastic plumbing over the years, but PEX doesn't seem to have any of those issues. And uh, there's a lot of really qualified people that are looking into it and recommending it and writing about it. We did an interview with the editor, for example, of Fine Home Building Magazine. And those guys are tough. I mean, they don't give their recommendations very easily. And they were raving about the stuff. So I wouldn't have any concerns about using it. It's a lot easier to use than copper. It's going to last indefinitely. You don't have to worry about acidic water causing holes in the copper pipes. A whole bunch of plumbing issues are eliminated by the use of PEX. Great. All right. Thank you very much. All right, Janice. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Leo in Florida has a question about carpeting. What can we do for you? Yes, the other day I heard you had a program on, and it was about a guy that wanted to put blue down carpet in a dry basement, and y'all just uh, told him that that was not a good idea and all because of the uh, algae, algae or fungus or something. And I was wondering, couldn't you put a 
algicide or a fungicide in the paint and then paint the floor and then possibly throw some powder down too before you glue the carpet down? You can, uh, and that might work for a little while, but the bottom line is that you know mold is a very, very common occurrence in basements because they're below-grade spaces, and why would you want to lay mold food down on top of in a moisture-ridden that moist environment? Space. Yeah, exactly. So we don't like putting carpets in basements. There are a lot of fine flooring products out there that are much better choices than carpet. Now, if you want to have carpet, use an area rug on top of something like a laminate floor or an engineered hardwood floor. Use an area rug that can be taken out and cleaned occasionally, but don't put in wall-to-wall carpet on top of a jute backing. Just a bad idea. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome, Leo. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. And that was not what Leo wanted to hear. <laughs> Sorry, Leo. Carpet and basement, bad idea. Time to talk decorating with Debbie in Texas. She needs some help with a fireplace. What can we do for you? My husband and I, we just recently purchased my childhood home. It's in Neptune Beach, Florida. And the fireplace in it is very ugly. It's kind of an orangey yellow brick. Okay. And I was wondering, can you do? Can you paint a faux finish over that brick? Someone was telling me that that you can do it. A faux finish, as far as you know, what do you want it to look like? My original plan was to uh, put a, a stone over it to just have someone come in and do a stone over it. But I'm trying. It needs so much work. It's like a 45 year old house, and it needs a lot of work. And I was trying to maybe save a, a little bit by doing. Someone suggested, why don't you just put a do a faux finish? You can absolutely paint brick. I guarantee you it's not going to look exactly the same as, you know, a new brick or a different color brick would. And I always feel really bad about painting brick unless in a situation where you've got, you know, the color is just awful. There's a product, I know you were talking about stone. There's a... um. Uh, a veneer product from Owens Corning that they manufacture. They have one for the exterior and they have one for the interior. And I believe the website is culturedstone.com. And if you look on their interior product, they have a stone veneer. It's much thinner. It's lighter weight. You can get it to look like river rock or um, flagstone or the edge of flagstone. And it really is a beautiful product. It's not terribly expensive. And I believe their interior one is a do-it-yourself product check them out before you make the decision to paint if you are going to paint um you want to make sure you use a paint that's made for stone for concrete you want to use several tones of the color that you're looking for you want a dark tone a light tone and a middle tone and you want to make sure that you mimic you know get a lot of pictures of the brick that you want it to look like and mimic that as best you can remember anything that would be closer to you would be lighter in color and anything that would be further from you would be darker in color so you want the edges to sort of show some wear and tear so add some darker tones in there work with a couple of brushes keep the paint as wet as possible even use some small fine sponges in there to add some texture but take your time and work on some practice pieces first great thank you so much i really appreciate all your help you're welcome thanks so much for calling us at 888 money pit Well, French doors offer a very beautiful look, and they let in lots of light. But how do you maintain privacy without totally covering them up? We're going to tell you after this. (laughs) 
making good homes better. Welcome back to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Hey, have you guys had a chance to check out our new and improved website? It's still at moneypit.com. It is absolutely gorgeous. We've got blogs and tips and podcasts and so much, much, much more. And it's all at moneypit.com. So head there today because it's gorgeous. And we've even got a new fan page on Facebook. Woo-hoo. You are so tech savvy, Tom. I swear. <laughs> I don't know how you have the time to do all this. Hey, while you're online, you can um, over at moneypit.com, click on the Ask Tom and Leslie icon and you can email us your question. And I've got one here from Andrew in New York who writes, I want to install a wood laminate or something similar in my finished basement. The room is below grade, but so far we've had no moisture. We do find that the floor gets cold, particularly to bare feet. The current floor has a double pad and a Berber carpet. Ah, what can I use for a subfloor so that I can insulate under this floor somehow. You know, I hear carpet in a basement, I get all nervous. Yeah, carpet in the basement is a really bad idea because it's basically mold food, and so not such a good idea. I will tell you, though, if you do want to insulate a basement floor, here's sort of the procedure that you need to follow. First, you're going to want to put down plastic sheeting, like a visqueen or something like that. On top of that, you're going to lay down uh, some furring strips. Pressure-treated lumber is preferred. In between the furring strips, you'll put down insulation board, so solid foam insulation board about an inch to an inch and a half thick. And then on top of that, you can put a subfloor. Having said all that, I just told you to install wood right on top of concrete where it can become termite food. So please make sure you do a termite inspection and make sure you don't have a termite problem before you feed those little guys because they'll have no reason to leave then. Uh, That's the best way to put a wood-insulated floor in a basement. Now, another thing that you can do is if you do want to go with a laminate floor, Underneath the laminate floor, there is an underlayment, and the underlayment is a very thin layer of insulation. It will not be as warm as the wood structure I just explained, but it's a lot less complicated to do. Mm-hmm. And, and you also you won't can... lose the height because basements are generally short spaces. Yeah, good point. Yeah, that's right. You'll only lose, you know, quarter of an inch of height by doing it that way. Mm-hmm. And laminate really is a fantastic choice for a basement. It looks beautiful. If it doesn't give you that same warm, cozy feeling that you're used to with carpeting in a space, sort of like your family room in the basement, throw out some area rugs. It really achieves the same look, but it gives you an opportunity to create these little nooks and niches for use in the basement while still giving you the warmth and, of course, the functionality of the laminate. So good luck with that great basement project and enjoy your space. You know, French doors are a classic and beautiful feature in any room. It really showcases the view outside, but they're great on style. However, not so much when it comes to privacy. Leslie's got some ideas, though, on how to handle that on today's edition of Leslie's Last Word. That's right. If you've got French doors, they're beautiful. You know that. However, if they're in a room where you don't exactly want everybody looking in on you, you do have some options. And this is a really great way to add a lot of privacy without ruining the beauty and the style of the French door itself. Head on over to a craft store. Look at decorative papers, rice papers, any other textural, natural paper, something that has a beautiful weave to it, not like a really nice texture. You want something that's just beautiful and soft and really seems like it belongs there. Then what you want to do is you want to cut that paper to the size of those panels of glass within your French doors. And then you can go ahead and attach the paper with double-sided tape. Or even at the craft store, you'll see something called a glue dot. It comes in a roll and it's like it's like that adhesive that your credit cards come to in, in the mail when you get it and you have to sort of roll it off the back. You can buy that as well. That works great for it. And then what you want to do is just attach it to those panels of glass. And then that soft texture of the paper 
It's going to separate your personal space, but it still allows a nice, soft, filtered light into the room. And when you don't want it anymore, you can easily remove that adhesive with a little window cleaner. It's a great project, makes you feel very confident, and it still allows you to enjoy those doors. Coming up next week on The Money Pit, learn how to keep your yard from becoming a swamp even after the most torrential downpours. We're going to have tips on how to build a homemade dry well that will dispense the water next week on the program. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Remember, you can do it yourself. But you don't have to do it alone. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.